Good morning, it's great to see you here today. My name is Mike, I'm the junior high pastor at our West Chicago campus. And I'm Hannah, and I'm our student life associate director also at our West Chicago campus. Mike, today starts Holy Week. Did you see the announcement last week about Journey to Easter and they did the cool artwork? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was super cool. Journey to Easter is an all ages digital experience walking us through Holy Week. We're diving deep into Jesus' heart for his people through a daily video telling the story of Jesus' last week on earth through scripture and art. Yeah, and you can register to have these videos and resources delivered to you, or you can follow along on social media and catch all of it there. If you're gonna be sharing it with a friend and you need it in Spanish, we'll have that ready as well. All right, Mike, how do you keep track of your schedule? Are you a calendar guy? Are you a pen and paper guy, digital guy? Or are you just the kind of guy that like, I'm just gonna remember this in my mind and to hope for the best? Yeah, historically, I've been more in that boat. Dangerous. But I'm, I'm moving toward keeping a really consistent digital calendar. Okay. Way better. All right, on this digital calendar, have you saved the date for CareFest? It's on March 1st. May 1st, not March, May 1st. May 1st. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I have not, but as soon as we're done with this, I will go do that. All right, so Mike has been at CareFest, I think year after year after year, for the last five years that you've been here. Do you have a favorite project? Uh, yeah, we've, so I've taken students to team over in Carroll Stream quite a few times. And I basically just round up a few kids and we're like the mulch team. Ooh, the mulchers. The yeah. Nice. So we like to just see how many wheelbarrows full of mulch we can move in a day. That's fun, yeah. a little project. Absolutely. The CareFest team is looking to come alongside you and your CareFest project ideas. So if you know someone in your neighborhood who needs a little help or just some opportunities that are out there to share the love of Jesus, we would love to hear those ideas and you can share those at wheatonbible.org slash carefest. Yeah, so that's all for today. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us and we hope you have an amazing Holy Week. Good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. God's grace and peace to you this morning. Today is Palm Sunday when we as a church observe Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, celebrated as the promised king and knowing full well that his destination was the cross sent to pay the penalty for our sins. And as we walk through this holy week, let us today praise him for his kingship and ask him that his kingdom may come more fully in our lives and in the world around us on earth as it is in heaven. Let's begin with the scripture reading from the book of John, read by three generations of the Gottlieb family. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he raised Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is gone after him. Would you stand and sing with us? 
Praising Jesus for his majesty and his rule, for coming as our promised king. Let us take a moment to be silent.
before we pray a corporate prayer of confession, consider are there areas in your life or in the world around you that you are convicted to ask for God's kingdom to come more fully, or areas that you need to surrender more fully to him, or areas of sin you need to confess. Let's take a silent moment before him at this time. Let's pray. O Lord, who on this day entered the rebellious city that later rejected you, we confess that our wills are as rebellious as Jerusalem's, that our faith is often more show than substance, that our hearts are in need of cleansing. Have mercy on us, Son of David, Savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. Amen. Let's stand to recite the Apostles' Creed together out loud. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. i 
As we enter our second year of celebrating Holy Week during a pandemic, we are so thankful for the technology and the people that make it possible to use more musicians than the few that fit on our stage here today. We have people coming in to record vocalists here at the church. We have parents recording their children. We have, for every little musician in all the boxes that you see on the choir and orchestra videos, we have hours that go into practicing and preparing and recording for your cell phone right in front of you. We're also so thankful for Amy Mueller, who is the real architect behind all these videos. She takes all the cell phone videos and then she lines them up so everyone's singing together, which is a hard thing. And then she mixes it so it sounds beautiful. And then she also tackles the visual part of the video as well. We're so thankful for her heart for God and for her talents that enable us to worship in this way, as well as every person who has participated in all these different videos. So today we're going to, yes, praise the Lord, his people, wonderful. We're going to continue our worship with one of those videos now, Hosanna to the Son of David.
amen is right and good morning. Before I pray and before we look into God's word, I want to thank you this morning, uh, those of you that are part of the family here at Wheaton Bible Church, for your generous giving. I have been simply amazed at all that Wheaton Bible Church has done for the surrounding communities over the last year or so while we've been in this pandemic. For example, just this last week, we hosted a, we became a vaccination site for people that did not have um, access uh, to vaccines um, in sort of the normal course of circumstances. We had about 2,000 people here, about 2,000 people get uh, vaccinated. Isn't that cool? And it's uh, your giving that makes that possible. Uh, one of the, to me, one of the great highlights among so many that I don't have the time to mention is the fact that when our schools uh, shut down, we brought our after-school program from West Chicago here on our campus. And every day now, for the last year or so, Monday through Friday, for the entirety of the school day, we have been providing tutoring, education, and uh, spiritual input uh, for these precious children that would have been uh, displaced and would have been really struggling. That's been week after week for this entire year. Thank you for your generosity, Wheaton Bible Church. It's that kind of generosity that makes um, the ministry here in so many different ways and so many different things that have been brought out by the pandemic possible. You can give as you can see online. You can also, if you brought an offering this morning, you can drop it in the boxes uh, by the doors. And I want to welcome all of you, whether you're watching online, whether you're here with us, it's great to be with you. We're excited about what God wants to say through his word. But before we look into his word, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we marvel at all you have given us in your son, Jesus. We marvel that Jesus Christ became a man that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, that you raised him from the dead. And uh, those uh, final acts of his ministry here on earth come, uh, began this week, this holy week. And so, Father, we come to you because this is a special week. And we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would fill us with awe and wonder and worship and love and compassion and humility as we think of God laying aside his glory and becoming a man. That in spite of all that Jesus experienced and suffered, in spite of all the rejection, in spite of all the conflict, the constant harassment and disappointment that Jesus lived a perfect life so that his righteousness might become ours the moment we believe he died that perfect death, that we might find forgiveness. We are amazed at your love. We love you because you first loved us. 
And we pray, God, as we move forward as a church, that you will give us wisdom, that you will give us a discernment. We pray, Father, uh, for um, our brothers and sisters or children that are part of our church family that are struggling, uh, struggling with sickness, struggling with uh, different forms of displacement because of COVID. Uh, people that are anxious, people that are fearful, people that are hurting. And we pray today that you would comfort them, that you would bless them, that they would have <clears throat> a profound sense of your presence. So speak to us now through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is an amazing time of year for us as followers of Jesus Christ. I worry that when we come to this week, we don't appreciate it. Today is Palm Sunday. It marks the beginning of Holy Week, which is the most sacred week in the life of the church year because it culminates in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, Good Friday and Easter. So let me just encourage you, this is a moment we should treat differently, a week we should treat differently, a week we should slow down, a week we should recalibrate, a week we should read and reflect on what the different gospel accounts tell us that Jesus did and went through during this week. Also that the love of a bleeding and dying Savior, and that's our Savior, might renew our hearts and renew our minds. So take advantage of this week. Set aside time, don't let it pass. The Bible tells us this week begins with Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry. Now, uh, there were massive crowds in Jerusalem uh, swelling and swelling as each and every day went by because it was Passover leading up to Passover. And uh, so many of the Jews had this wildly optimistic notion that that teacher, that prophet, was somehow going to set up some sort of uh, spiritual and military rule in Jerusalem and usher in the golden age of Israel. But they completely missed how Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He didn't ride a war horse. He rode a donkey symbolizing, pointing to, hinting at uh, the fact that Jesus had come to be crucified, not to conquer. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at that very first event that takes place right after Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. The very first thing I should say that the Gospels record that Jesus does. It's important because while it seems strange, 
strange to our sensibilities about who Jesus is. It actually tells us volumes about Jesus. And what you think about Jesus, your vision about Jesus, when you, uh, in the quietness of a moment, reflect on who Jesus is, your vision of Jesus is always the most important thing about you. And that is true in any given moment in your life. You see, the most important thing in our lives isn't our friends, it's not our school, it's not our job, it's not even our family, it's what's going on between us and Jesus, how you conceive your vision of Jesus. So would you stand with me out of respect for God's word, and we're going to read what Matthew has to say about the cleansing of the temple, which is this first activity of Jesus, beginning in Matthew chapter, or verse 12 rather. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. Now, this is all Matthew tells us about the cleansing of the temple. I want to talk about it today. It's also found in Mark. It's also found in Luke. But I think it's worth it to read on, read the next couple of verses. The blind and the lame came to him, that is to Jesus, at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now think about this. The religious leaders are angry. The children are full of joy. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And that's what we just saw in the video. You may be seated. Now, before we look at this cleansing, I want to make a couple introductory comments because there's a couple things that I don't want you to, uh, to miss. First of all, I want you to understand that almost all of Israel got the role of the temple wrong. Almost of all of Israel didn't understand God's purposes for the temple at this point in first century Judaism. Uh, not to mention that they got Jesus wrong. But Jesus here demonstrates, I want you to think about this, Jesus demonstrates that sometimes the best place to be is on the opposite side of culture, on the opposite side of the crowd. Jesus here, when he cleanses the temple, stands against the entirety of Israel. And sometimes the best place to be is to be boldly and lovingly set against what is going on around us. 
Now, this is so interesting to me because Jesus is about to humbly, mercifully lay down his life for our sins. But here in the cleansing of the temple, Jesus turns the temple inside out because the Jews had turned it into a marketplace. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with business. There were nothing wrong uh, with these businesses. What was wrong was the location. So Jesus says in verse 13, I am waiting to get verse 13. Guys, I'm having trouble. My little clicker Well, I can just keep clicking, or maybe I need to go on. Let me just have a conversation with Christy in the back. Should I keep going? Okay, CJ just told me yes. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. So what I wanted to do was bring up verse 13. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 13. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, my house, this house, signal me when I'm good, okay? Shall be called a house of prayer. Now, in light of that, and in light of the fact that Jesus is standing against culture, I want uh, to ask you two questions. I want you to think about this. And the first is the question, are there times when you haven't, but you should, are there times now uh, when you need to stand against what's going on around you, the crowds around you, uh, a lot of different types of crowds. Are there moments where you need to say no, you need to stand against what's happening around you? Now, conversely, lest you become smug, and there's a lot of smugness and arrogance um, in evangelicalism, uh, a second question you should ask yourself is, are there moments where I have become just like culture? And I have compromised my faith. You know, for example, don't make the mistake Israel made. When Israel here makes even their religious life in so many ways about commerce, about money, about making money. Instead of worship. So to the extent we go through our lives and we make our lives about things other than money or other than worship and we make about money or today for us performance or appearance or success or, 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 or whatever, we are acting just like Israel in the first century. Worship, what's that? Do you know researchers tell us that 30% of the people that have stopped coming to church during this pandemic will never return? These are people that have stopped coming. These are people that were involved. It's become convenient or maybe there's other reasons. Worship, what's that? Church, what is that? The entirety of Israel, God's people, got the temple wrong. Now, don't misunderstand. This is not a call to live an angry life. Jesus didn't live an angry life. 
Uh, I'm not suggesting you start to be angry at friends or your, your school or uh, your co-workers or even politicians or anybody uh, for that matter. Jesus here, immediately after he cleanses the temple, I want you to see this, he steps into the lives of the most vulnerable with mercy and compassion and heals the blind, he heals uh, the lame. So what we have here is a call to keep worship central in our lives. And in this culture, just like stunningly first century Israel, that's one of the biggest battles you're ever going to fight in your life, friends. And I want you to begin this week, this holy week, to be renewed by your worship. Now this really brings me to the first thing I want to say about what the cleansing of the temple means. I'm going to say four things. I want you to get these. What does the cleansing of the temple mean? What does it tell us? It tells us that Jesus Christ came to heal your worship. It tells us that Jesus wants your worship, that Jesus demands your worship. Now, we're all worshipers, right? We all have either the things in the physical domain or the spiritual domain that we either consciously or unconsciously assign ultimate worth to. And those things that we assign that worth to are things we believe will define us, make us happy, give us purpose and meaning. And there's a real sense in which we honor those, we elevate those, and we worship those. All of us are worshipers. And Jesus here is declaring, if you get your worship right, if you honor me, if you exalt me, if your worship of me is the most important thing in your life, if you submit to me, if you trust me, if you deny yourself and you follow me, then you're going to get everything else in your life right. Here Jesus is pleading for your worship. Now, unless you happen to believe that you are a meaningless speck of dust in a meaningless universe and your life is nothing but meaninglessness, then you know you have a creator. And every gift, every ability, every wonderful blessing in your life, every wonderful circumstance in your life has been given to you by your creator. Now, that's in part why God gives Israel the temple in the first place. Yes, so Israel can worship God uh, as Jesus quotes Isaiah here, can pray to God, can meet with God, can offer sacrifices for her sins to God. But one of the other reasons God gave Israel the temple is so that the temple would be a physical demonstration that the creator, the owner, the ruler of the universe is present in human experience, your experience through the Spirit. And he must be worshipped. Wasn't David's worship in the Old Testament what made David so loved, uh, so successful? Wasn't Paul's worship of the living God what made him so passionate? 
Wasn't Peter's worship of Jesus what eventually made him so very humble? You see, the temple and the sacrificial system were designed by God to show Israel the ever-present reality of her sin. And that our sin separates us from the living God. But that God has designed a way to deal with sin through sacrifice. But when we come to the New Testament, we come to Hebrews chapter 10, for example, in the early verses, we are told that that Old Testament sacrificial system was incomplete. Because sacrifices had to continually and repeatedly, uh, month after month, year after year, be made. And uh, Jews could never have a, a completely clear conscience, a conscience, an absolute sense of forgiveness. So that's why here in our section, uh, we see these sacrifices going on and going on and going on. So many of them. Because it was continual. And the temple tax, which had to be translated into temple currency, hence the money changers here, always had to be paid. So sacrifices always had to be made. Temple taxes always had to pay. paid. Then one day Jesus shows up and acts as if he owns the place. It's great. But in doing so, he is implying, now get the context, look at these verses, that Israel has lost the worship war that exists in every single human heart. Now, what we have is this constant battle for the stuff of creation versus the creator. And I love the way Paul Tripp illustrates this. He writes, imagine you're planning this wonderful family vacation to Disney World. And the kids are uh, out of mind with their excitement. And the day comes and you gather the family together. You hop in the car and you make uh, the long drive to Walt Disney World. Uh, I've done that before with my kids when they were young. I'm still recovering from that drive. <laughs> and you're driving and you're driving and you're driving and you're driving and, and finally you see a sign and the sign says, Walt Disney World, 100 miles. Now imagine, mom or dad, uh, that you pull over, you park under the sign and say, we're here. And you've got a problem. You've got lots of problems. But one of your biggest problems is that the sign isn't the thing. It points to this thing. The sign pointing to Disney World will never give you what Disney World gives you, right? We all get that. Now, I say this because so it is with physical glory, the physical glory of creation. There are two types of glory, sign glory and ultimate glory. Uh, sign glory is the stuff of the physical world, all the 
beauty of the stars and the sunsets and the mountains and the oceans, the sights and the smells, the tastes and the experiences. Sign glory is also includes your gifts and abilities and your circumstances and, and your blessings, but these were never, never designed by God to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And as a matter of fact, they can't. They were never designed to give you lasting contentment or lasting peace, a, a, a sense of divine pleasure. They can't because they're the stuff of earth. And God never intended for earth to be your savior. Rather, the things of earth are one big sign that continually points to the living God. That Jesus alone has the power to give you and satisfy you with the deepest longings of your heart. Now listen to me. God designed the world to point to him, not to replace him. And so I wonder, uh, where are you today? What are you looking for in life uh, this very day? Or will you be like the parent who parks under the sign, who vacations under the sign? Or will you run to the creator to whom the sign points? So all the wonder of creation points. When the first thing Jesus does after he enters Jerusalem is go to the temple and cleanse the temple, he demonstrates the absolute priority of worship. Israel got worship wrong. Israel messed up worship, mixed it up. Israel devalued worship, don't you? Take this week, this holy week, and use it to renew your soul and your mind. Now, before I go on, let me add this. Rhonda and I are in the process of relocating, uh, but we're not relocating from here to Denver. We're relocating from Wheaton to St. Charles. Rhonda's office is in St. Charles. There's other reasons for that. So our house is full of boxes, and we're packing, and I'm pretty worthless. Uh, but we've got a lot going on, and as, as you know, a move is really stressful, and we're moving in, in, in uh, just a, a couple of weeks. And when we go through something like this, I have to work to keep myself centered and focused. So I tend to write ideas and thoughts and things down on little three-by-five cards, and I've got them all over the place. And here's what I wrote down a couple of months ago. Home isn't something I will find in St. Charles. Just like I didn't find it in Wheaton. Home is something the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has already established with me and in me. And I say this to say we don't worship a new home. We don't worship a new boyfriend. We don't worship a new job. Jesus, the living God, has come to make our worship of him central, and that's Jesus' point in cleansing the temple. 
So what does the temple cleansing mean? First of all, it means that Jesus has come to heal our worship. There's a second thing I want you to see that Jesus has come, and the cleansing points to this, to replace ritual with reality. I mean empty ritual with deep, wonderful, existential, experiential uh, reality of the living God. Now get the context again. Sacrifices were going on all over the place. Temple taxes were being paid, but they, the problem was they oh, so overwhelmed the temple courtyard, the courtyard of the Gentiles, that the average Jew wasn't able to pray. My house shall be a house of prayer. That the average Jew wasn't able to worship, wasn't able to meditate. This is why Jesus is so upset. That there was all sorts of religious activity. Now think about this. Religious activities, uh, forgive me, but ritual uh, going on. But there wasn't any reality. There wasn't any uh, deep conversation, deep connection with the living God. Any time for meditation, for experiencing God and his overwhelming love. And this is why Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now, how about you as we prepare for Easter? You guys, I'm on a mission today. I want you to experience renewal. How about you as we prepare for Easter? Is your life like the temple? So noisy, so busy, so much going on, so much activity. And, and this activity wasn't bad activity, wasn't immoral activity, that you just happened in your relationship with Jesus to be going through the religious motions. And there's not any profound sense of reality, of the experience of God's power, the experience of God's presence, uh, the sense of God's pleasure on your life. Now, there's nothing wrong with rituals. What's wrong is empty rituals. But what Jesus is doing in cleansing the temple is calling us to a much deeper reality, a much deeper experience with him. So, for example, do you pray or do you merely say prayers? Uh, for example, when you pray, sometimes you have that marvelous experience of your anger or your anxiety or your sense of inadequacy being lifted and taken away by God. Uh, when you pray, when you read God's word, uh, do you bow in reverence in your heart or uh, do you merely blow through your laundry list of requests that never change? Do you sense God's love? Now let me help you get there. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah like Isaiah before and Ezekiel after, is one long announcement of God's judgment of Israel because of Israel's unbelief, because of Israel's twisted, distorted worship, because of Israel's idolatry, because of Israel's disobedience. And so Jeremiah, like these other major prophets, is a long announcement of God's impending judgment on the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom destroyed. 
But in the middle of the book of Jeremiah, beginning in chapter 30, the mood changes and God looks beyond the impending judgment, the crisis. And he talks about the days of coming redemption and restoration. And then in chapter 31, we have one verse that has attracted a whole lot of attention. And I want you to look at this remarkable verse. Is not Ephraim, now Ephraim is a synonym, <clears throat> excuse me, for Israel. Now look at this, and this is a context of a book of judgment. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child, is not Israel my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though often I speak against him, I still remember him, therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him. So prior to this verse in chapter 31, there have been 29 chapters of judgment. And then we have this incredible statement of love. Two chapters later, what in the world is going on? Israel is killing herself because of her sin. Either you kill sin or can, sin will kill you. And sin was killing Israel because she hadn't killed sin in her life. And so what does God say of this sinful nation? He says, Israel, you my child, my dear son, I, 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 I delight in you. And then we read and he, and he says, and I, I still remember you now. Remember here is stronger than merely never forgetting. It means God will uh, never forsake. He will uh, never let go. He will never stop loving Israel in spite of her sin. It's covenant language. And then we come to my favorite section, this last sentence. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him. Now think about the language there. So intense is God's love for sinful Israel. So intense is God's love for sinful you and me. That God says out of the center of my being, the deepest recesses of my being, my heart. I yearn for you. Now Isaiah earlier invites us to yearn for God. But Jeremiah here in this remarkable verse tells us that the living God, fully aware of our weaknesses, our failures, our unbelief, the idolatry of our hearts, yearns for us. That's how much he loves us. Uh, do you understand this? Is your worship, or let me say it this way, in your worship, do you get to this ultimate reality? Do you personalize it? Do you tell yourself, this is how God responds to me? Does this unstoppable love of God for you make you unstoppable in your love for others? That on your worst days, the days you've had your worst arguments, your worst spiritual failures, your worst sins, that you can tell yourself that I, God calls me his dear son, his dear daughter. He delights in me. He remembers me, he will not forsake me. Out of his heart, he yearns for me. And does that change you? 
When I talk about ritual, not reality, I'm talking about that verse becoming real in your life. And hundreds just like it. So today, uh, this Palm Sunday 2021, what is the state of your temple? Is it full of activity? Or is there profound and meaningful and ongoing reality, spiritual reality? The third thing I want you to understand about the cleansing is it means that Jesus is your true king. Now, sometimes people ask uh, when we come to the Gospels, where is it in the Gospels that Jesus actually uh, claims to be God? And the answer is, well, either indirectly or directly on almost every page in the gospel. So look at our account. Look at verse 12. When Jesus enters and he drives people out and he overthrows the furniture, that's only something the owner of a house would do. It's a claim to deity in the very next verse. When he says, quoting Isaiah, my house... Uh, calls uh, the temple my house, quoting this, Jesus is in effect saying this is his house. It's a claim to deity. Uh, then in verse 14, what does he do? He supernaturally and miraculously heals after he's cleansed the temple. Then we come to verse 16. And the Pharisees are furious. And what does Jesus do? Jesus sends them into orbit. Because not only does he affirm the worship of the children, he quotes Psalm 8 and implies in quoting it, Psalm 8 is being fulfilled, that prophecy, if you will, is being fulfilled right now in what the children are saying about me. In word and deed, Jesus repeatedly claims to be the true king. And the point is, you and I are not the king. Jesus is the king. And if you have control issues like I have control issues, then this is something we've got to tell ourselves all the time. Hey, you know what? I'm not the king in this situation. Jesus is the king. Okay, I'm going to relax and I'm going to submit. But I want to go back to verse 12. Because here's where I want to make the application. If Jesus is the king of your life, then what this means is that he has come to, Jesus has come to rearrange your furniture. Right? Jesus will rearrange the furniture of your life. If Jesus is in your life, he will repeatedly, continually, constantly work to drive out the evil in your life by rearranging your values and your habits and your relationships and, 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 and your circumstances. And sometimes that's going to be excruciatingly painful, discouraging. You're going to be flummoxed. What in the world is going on? But this is one of the ways you know Jesus is in your life when verse 12 is happening to you. A Christian is someone who says, <clears throat> Jesus, you are my king. You rearrange anything and everything you see fit. 
Jesus Christ does not. He does not ride on a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and say, Israel, let's negotiate. Or how about you have 50% control and I have 50% control. No, Jesus rides in and he goes to the temple and he cleanses it, saying, this is my house. I am in charge. Hold on for the ride of your life because the rewards will literally be out of this world. Is Jesus your king? Uh, Friends, this... uh, This one theological statement, this one doctrinal statement is so essential for us that Jesus is the king, I'm not the king, that as I look to what's going on in culture and as how culture moves increasingly away uh, from the the sacred order, this is going to be the platform we have to stand on. So, for example, if the Equality Act becomes the law of the land, then there's going to be all sorts of consequences for religious freedom. I mean freedom of speech. And how are we going to thrive? We're going to thrive because we understand that Jesus is the king. How do we press back against the onslaught of materialism? Money makes the world go around. Appearance and performance and those things. Because we understand that Jesus is the king and we're beholden to what he teaches in his word. Amen? So what's going on in the cleansing of the temple? Well, Jesus has come uh, to heal your worship, uh, to replace ritual with reality, to reveal that he is the true king and finally that he is the true temple. And I'll be brief here. But let me go back to the Garden of Eden. After our parents, Adam and Eve, fall in sin in the Garden of Eden, God banishes them from the Garden of Eden, banishes them from Uh, his presence in effect and puts an angel there who's holding a sword leading some people to say the only way back into the presence of blood get this the only way back into the presence of God is by the shedding of blood and that brings us to Good Friday because on Good Friday Jesus offered his blood for ours, his death for our life. So on the cross, Jesus advanced against the sword, was struck down by the sword, but in so doing, completely shattered the sword. This is why Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, says this. Destroy this temple. He's speaking about his body, and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate. I am the final. I am the complete temple. I am your temple. And the way you find forgiveness, the way you can meet with God, the way you can experience God, the way you can enjoy the tender compassion and mercy of God and experience his peace and his purpose in your life is by clinging to the wonder of all that I have done for you and shedding my blood for you and then on Easter being raised from the dead. 
No wonder at the death of Jesus, the veil in the temple was torn in two, indicating that through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ, we can have access into the presence of the living God. I want this for you during Holy Week and each and every week of your life. So imagine as we conclude, I, I, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture Jesus standing in heaven or standing in your family room or sitting next to you in your car. And I want you to see that if you look closely, there are nail holes in his hands. And they picture Jesus who overflows with compassion and mercy and love. And I want you to see that he is the temple. He is the king. And he is in the process of rearranging the furniture of your life that he might give you everything in his life. And let's pray. And so, Father, we are amazed at our Savior. Uh, we've just looked at a couple verses, and we're amazed that all that Jesus has done for us, all that he will do for us. And, Father, I pray that you would work in our lives that we would see him, not as we define him, but as he is. And now as we turn to worship you, speak to us. Amen. As we reflect on Jesus being king, it makes us more thankful that as Philippians 2 says, it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose to worship him rightly and to rearrange things so that he is our true king. Let's stand and worship together as we sing, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no
That is gospel theology. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? Amen. Now let me just say, to be a follower of Christ is to live an invitational life. What I mean is, we invite people into our lives, we invite people into our homes, we invite people into our experiences. And Easter is one of the great ways you can invite people to join you, either watching our church services online or actually coming to church with you. And to that end, we have created an email invitation that you can go online and go to wheatonbible.org slash invite and give that friend, that co-worker's email address or just submit the address and then we will send for you an invitation and you can follow up or you can let them know it's coming and it'll be a great simple way for you to invite people to experience Resurrection Sunday. Now, we all get a little nervous about that. Where does the ability, the power come from? Because Christ, as we just sung, lives in us. Let Jesus lead you and take advantage of Easter and invite people to join us. So, Father, we praise you. And we ask that your face would shine upon us as the sun shines upon us, that you would fill us by your Spirit And that the Spirit would point us to the wonder and the beauty and the compassion of our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. You guys have a great day, and we'll look forward to seeing you on Good Friday and Easter.